And what happened at the end of that was the group that had to do a high volume of work got closer to perfection than the group that had to make the one perfect thing. Hi, I'm Jason. Hi, I'm Leia. And I'm Dre, and you are listening to The Post-Normal Show. Hey, we did that perfectly. We all make mistakes. Did you guys make any mistakes this week? Uh, Yeah, not putting two-factor authentication on my PlayStation Plus account and um, getting dinged suddenly for... I realized I bought a game, and then I looked at the charges for the game and realized that there was another game and another game and another game, and there were seven... And then it turned out that there were about, someone bought $1,500 worth of games that I don't even like uh, using my account and then changed the email password so I couldn't log back in. So that was fun. I spent about an hour today with, with uh, Sony trying to, get that, <laughs> trying to get that fixed. That sucks, man. It's a fun, fun time that other person is having. <laughs> Leia, did anybody get into your credit card this week? I sincerely hope not. I should check, <laughs> just in case. No, I didn't. I, I made my own mistake. I accidentally went and bought the wrong product. I had to replace one of my makeup items, and I picked up the wrong color, and now I'm stuck with an item that I can't return because stores are not accepting returns right now, even though I didn't open the product and didn't use it. So I realized my mistake pretty early on, but the given the situation, you know, something that I kind of took for granted, this idea of going back to the store and returning something is no longer part of my reality. Huh. Is it a garishly off-looking product, or is it kind of usable in certain situations? I mean, it's like a reverse Oompa Loompa situation that I would be having, like orange around my eyes like yeah like a reverse trump or something like that but yeah that's not a look i'm i'm going for so ideally no <laughs> ideally i can wait just a little while and go back and return it once things are a little calmer maybe in a couple of weeks i can kind of understand why anything that would touch your face wouldn't they wouldn't want it back in the store but if you didn't even open it yeah, the, the level of precaution is there right now, right? So it doesn't matter what the product is and whether or not you used it, they're not taking it back to be careful. And I, I get it. This is this one's on me. Unlike you who are, you know, dealing with somebody breaking into it's, your stuff. This is totally on me. It's on me too. It's on me. I could have I could have put more security. How about you, Dre? Did you screw up? I screw up daily. I don't even know which one to, to to choose, maybe hourly. I can't pinpoint any potential screw up. I find that living in this reality means you have these repeating groundhog days. Every day just seems the same. And the more you do the day, the better off you're, you're able to perfect the little things. So I've got like nap, di- nap time down to a science. You know, the rituals are, are kicking in, but... Uh, I can't think of anything anything glaring right now. I'm sure I know I have tons that I can talk about on the show, but I can't think of anything this week that I, that I did, did a major boo-boo on. Can I ask a question about that? Mm-hmm. So I imagine that we all kind of have our routines. We're in this sort of suspended reality. What do you normally do when you wake up every morning? And what is one time that you missed something that you usually do and went oh crap 
my mornings are very repetitive. When I wake up, the first thing I do, first order of business is my coffee ritual. I like French press coffee, so I have an entire way that I like to do it. And there's a little timer on my kettle so I can track how long it steeps. And while it's steeping, I'm unloading dishes from the day before and loading any dishes in. And that's that's it. That's my morning make a coffee, tidy up the kitchen routine. And missing it, it's when I have a morning meeting that I'm only waking up, you know, maybe half an hour beforehand and I'm I'm getting ready. Even for Zoom calls, I'll take a shower and do all that stuff. I feel like it makes it more official. That's it's a good little routine you've got going. I've mentioned before, I think, maybe in just private conversations, that my routine has usually been, like when I have days where I'm not expected to be in an office somewhere or with a client, it's to go to a coffee shop and work. So it's like right from when I get up, that's the first thing I do is I leave the house and go sit down somewhere to be a little bit more productive and to have that sort of atmosphere around me. And that has been taken away. (laughs) So my morning systems are gone, which means that my productivity and discipline and all of that sort of stuff that we've talked about before is all over the place right now. It's taking more effort (laughs) on my part. There's a really interesting little book i think that we've we might have brought it up in the productivity podcast as well called atomic habits and it talks about how you don't fall to the level of your habits you fall to the level of your systems and so if your systems are in place where you've got you know things that you're you're doing habit stacking with like for instance you know the second you come home your shoes are right there and you go work out right away as opposed to having to think about it and having the energy to think about it those sort of systems that i had in place now have to be rethought altogether mm-hmm. yeah that's the i guess the notion of reducing the friction and eliminating any barrier that stands in the way between you and what you want to do right it's like you don't, yeah, like you don't allow yourself to make the mistake to begin with because you've constructed your environment in such a way that it eliminates that altogether. So do you find that you make more mistakes when your routine is disrupted or when your habits are disrupted? Yeah, it's easier to forget things, right? Things that I kind of take for granted and do within steps because the there's a step missing, so you forget another step or... You have to consciously think about something that was just automatic before. And so when you're consciously thinking about it as opposed to just going through the habit of doing it, then it's there's more burden to remember all of the little stuff and then more opportunity to forget some of the stuff. What's what's totally thrown me is having now two insomniac teenagers that they've disrupted my morning routine because they're often still awake. And then they come down and they hang out with me or they want to talk or they want to do something. And I'm like, but this is my time. Like I've, I've designed my whole life around getting up at six and doing my thing uninterrupted for at least two hours. And all of a sudden there's someone else poking their head into that space. And it's like, I don't get me wrong. I love it. And I love them, but it totally throws me. Like I can't, I, my whole day, I have to reorganize and rearrange because I can't get the setup done. And then all of a sudden I'm into the day full on by nine and, and I haven't had my, I don't know what, my prep. Are you more likely then to 
not do something you were supposed to do or forget something in that case? Oh yeah, I get I get completely frazzled. Like I my system is thrown off because I can't I usually do a review of the things that I need to take care of during the day. Though I take those hours to kind of meditate on how I'm going to approach the day, what my priorities are, and when that's taken away, then it's just triage. Then I'm just reacting instead of being prepared. And I don't like that feeling at all of of just reacting to things because it it the control is gone. So can I ask you something on the flip side of that, which is, is there a benefit that you've gained from that that you hadn't anticipated that is actually helping you in some way? From this situation uh, of Mm -hmm. being interrupted? Yeah. I have gone back and looked at my system and realized that it needs, it needs, I need to be able to react to it more quickly. In other words, I, I need to be able to enter into my system at short notice and be able to quickly change things in a minute or a second instead of having those hours. So I've been tweaking it a bit so that so that I can just come in and get a list really quickly laid down around what the priorities are. So yeah, uh, a little bit, a little bit. It's still it's still in flux right now. It's got me thinking about the idea of a mistake and how maybe some of what we're interpreting as mistakes aren't really mistakes. Because a mistake is, according to the dictionary, it's an action or a judgment that you do wrong or it's to be wrong about something. And having something interrupted, like your morning routine, isn't really a mistake. It's something different from what's going on because you didn't really do anything wrong. But I also think about the idea of a mistake and how mistakes can also be over-exaggerated in the sense that we expect perfection all the time. And sometimes when something goes slightly wrong, we call it a mistake when in fact it might not be a mistake. It might be something different or we can reframe it into something different to make it more positive. I actually have a little bit to say on that because I I did a bunch of research around success and failure, which are very close. Failure and mistakes usually go hand in hand. Mistake might be considered a small failure or screwing something up. But if you look at the number of books on Amazon that talk about success versus failure, it's 40 to 1. So people are interested in understanding success. They want to know who succeeded. And in a way, the successful people are preying on the people that want to succeed. But ask yourself who you would rather learn from, someone that has always succeeded their entire life or someone that has made a lot of mistakes that they can learn from and and teach you how to avoid those mistakes. So one other interesting thing is that if you look at the etymology of the word success, the old meaning of the word success used to mean an outcome, any outcome, like succession just means the next thing. So success is the next step. That's all. It's not a desired outcome. It's just an outcome. And we've warped it in our, our modern idea of success is now not just that you took a step forward, which could be a mistake, right? But now it's it has to be the outcome that I wanted. So it's very self-centric. And failure also used to mean no outcome, that, that no outcome came of this at all. Whereas now we look at, so it was like a non-occurrence, right? It was like null. But now we look at a mistake as a misfire, or we look at it as, as something that 
where we didn't get the outcome that we wanted. So it's it's interesting how things used to be more about fate and slightly disconnected from the ego and individualism and now we've taken that language and we've perverted it in a sense or we've shaped it to to fit the times in our culture which is very like success centric and and self-centered yeah i i like that insight on on success being succession and i think that's one of the main reasons why i find that failure and mistakes are I agree that they go in hand in hand, but I don't agree that they're one and the same. Uh, a, f- a failure can be a failure; it could be, uh, you know, either no outcome or you no, know, not the desired outcome that you expected. I think a mistake can be something that you can build upon, and I, I think it's John Coltrane. It might have been Miles Davis, but there's a there's a quote in the jazz world that is: "It's not about the note you played wrong; it's about the note you play next." And I I like to frame mistakes and failures around my experience with music. I've been playing music for a really long time. I play with a lot of people. And sometimes, especially when you're improvising, you might play a run that seems like it should logically do this and you hit the wrong note, but you quickly get to the next note and turn it into something good. And that mistake becomes a new way of phrasing something, you know, using dissonance in the melody And in the end, it could lead to really positive outcome, even though it is not the intended outcome. So just tying those two things together, I was looking at some some research around failure as well, because I I do think there is some relationship between failure and mistakes, not that necessarily one is the other, but that there is overlap. And one of the things that gets highlighted is this idea that high-performing teams have a lot of tolerance for failure. They, it's not that they don't fail, and it's not that they don't screw up, and it's not that they don't make mistakes, it's that the expectation is that you learn from them. So the difference between a low-performing team and a high-performing team is sometimes that they just fail more often, but they're more willing to, to learn and sort of get back at it afterwards. Well, that's the fundamental basis of science is to prove your theories wrong, right? You try to make your ideas fail and the minute they stop failing the minute you can start to look at your theories with more assurance michael jordan also like speaking of teams i think his famous quote made famous by nike of course was that he had missed over 300 shots that he'd or 9,000 shots actually that he'd lost 300 games and had been trusted to take the winning game shot 26 times and he missed. So the fact that he failed over and over again, he said is why he succeeded because he kept failing. So he put himself out there again and again and again and again. And that's why he became one of the greatest basketball players of all time. I have a book uh, sitting on my bookshelf behind me right now. I think it's called Art and Fear. And it has a really good example in it of, of research. And what they did is that they gave people an objective to different groups, a different objective around pottery, right? So the goal was for one group, you have to make a perfect piece of pottery, right? And then for the other group, it was just make as many as you can. 
just make as many as you can just iterate over and over again and what happened at the end of that was the group that had to do a high volume of work got closer to perfection than the group that had to make the one perfect thing they never got anywhere close to it and it had to do more with the fact of you just keep at it and keep repeating and that's what gets you closer to success it's the next thing right it's discarding one thing and going on to the next thing as a creative director in my past career, I used to preach accuracy through volume and that quantity always did better than quality. If you tried to just make one good idea, you would likely struggle and never attain it. But if you just spitballed as many things as you can in a shorter period of time, there's a very, very high likelihood that something in there will be good. You might not recognize it, but oftentimes the creative director or someone else on your team would point it out as being something uh, worthwhile. I used that exact uh, study to basically talk about action and connection, which I talked about before, but that action is about quantity. So it's about trying to get as many and do as many and have as many ideas um, and actions as possible to get better at something because you're like you're saying you make the mistakes and you learn from them as opposed to just being a perfectionist and trying to do it right the first time which doesn't offer you the same flexibility so like you were saying with the people that are willing to and able to learn how to fail and accept that failure and learn from it and move on as opposed to the people that are afraid of the failure and trying to do it right. I think that the quality comes later. So you focus on the quantity first and then the quality starts to come and then you can then you can work on the finessing aspect of it after you've learned the ropes. I actually want to build off of that point because the the question that I want to ask is so we know the research around this we kind of understand the whole you know volume versus perfection argument we know that it's okay to make mistakes knowing all of that i still get into these sort of stuck moments where something needs to be perfect and so i work on something and i get hung up on working on that thing and it has to come out right and then i don't get anywhere with it and then it just goes on for for a while why is it that we know that but can move past it? And are there ways to move past it? It almost feels like the mistake is in the expectation of achieving perfection. Right. So you have to lower your expectation. And I've been working on the same freaking book on creativity since 2006. It is now 2020. So that's, you do the math, 14 years. And still haven't finished this stupid book. So this year, I decided that I was going to just write the book live and publish all the pieces as I wrote them. And maybe there's like four or five people that are actually looking at this thing, but it changed my idea of what it had to be. So I just lowered my expectation that it was going to be right and that I was just going to release things raw, unedited, and and be accountable to someone else as opposed to just thinking of it as being something that I owned and that was just about me and that I was going to then put out there when it was exactly the way that it needed to be. And, and I think that that attitude shift has actually allowed me to do a lot of things that I'm not worried about them being great to start. I think they, they can evolve to become great, maybe if I'm lucky. 
but they don't have to be the best right out of the gate. And they can still be in front of people for criticism. And that'll help me learn how to, one, take criticism, and two, to understand what people actually, you know, don't enjoy about something. So you're already doing market research. And then the third one is that I'm I'm learning how to Dec- or how to increase my own tolerance. So it's almost like you the the mistakes that you make inoculate you against the the idea of failure and 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 shame. So you need like a vaccine. Is <laughs> failure a virus or the need for perfection a virus? And the mistakes are the little are the little are the little shots that you get to to inoculate you for sure. I think mistakes are awesome like you, Jason, and I even like you, Leia, I, I struggle with wanting to make sure I'm putting something out that is polished and perfect and well thought out and uncritiquable sometimes. When I look back at the work that I'm happiest about is the stuff that I didn't think about too much when I just dig in, make it happen, put it out there. I would like to think that even this podcast is a good example of that because we spontaneously came up with this idea of let's just formalize the conversation a bit and call it a podcast. And that's exactly what we did. And the first few episodes are are kind of janky and there's audio problems. And <laughs> Tell us about the audio problems, Dre. <laughs> I can tell you about the audio problems. Uh, I made the mistake. Maybe I, it's not really a mistake. It's just something I didn't even realize. I was on a hangout with Leia one night and she said, oh, I didn't even recognize that that was you because we were with a group of people. Your voice sounds deeper. And I was like, oh, I got, you know, maybe it's the microphone is bassy or something. And then I got to listening to some of our old pod, like the podcasts as I was editing them. And I thought, is that really? My voice is not that low. I, I'm not like a, like a low voice guy. And I'm listening to this and I couldn't figure it out. And then I realized that anything I recorded ended up being low. Turns out... The audio interface that I'm using is capturing at a higher bit rate than the computer. And the computer is literally just interpreting that as pitch shifting it down. So this it turns into a lower <laughs> voice. And now I've got this like recordings. Guess what? It, it sucks and it's out there. And if anybody wants to go back and listen to the last episode or uh, last few episodes, or actually maybe the first few episodes... I'm going to sound weird. I'm going to sound like I I ingested the opposite of helium. <laughs> hey, this is Dre LeBray, and we're welcome to the Post Normal Show. We're joking that he's a whistleblower, <laughs> like informing on somebody. <laughs> I sound like the anonymized whistleblower on Unsolved <laughs> oh, yeah. Mysteries. Or, <laughs> or, 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 the, or the guy that, that's talking about the alien that they're hiding in the White House that likes strawberry ice cream, but he can't reveal his identity. That one went right over my head. Oh, there used to be all of these shows that that were very questionable journalistically, where they would interview people that apparently had evidence and knew that there were aliens on Earth, and they knew a lot about them. And these were these would be shows where they'd bring on experts and they'd put them on the Discovery Channel or, or History or something, and they'd talk about aliens among us. And, and they would always use that voice. They'd always use the disguised voice and then put the person in shadow. And then they would, and then that was evidence that, that there were aliens 
I guess it kind of relates to the he- the headlines of the UFOs that 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 have been seen by U.S. military that was released this week. There, there's my segue. So I like that because <laughs> I'm going to build off of that too. Like ha- those people are clearly making a mistake of some sort. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like unless they're right, unless there's alligator people amongst us and we don't even know. They're okay. There's that's a it's a different argument and maybe a different podcast altogether but those people are clearly making a mistake and they have no idea that they're making a mistake and how do you then you know in the absence of knowing that you're making a mistake not realize that this is what you're you're in so i keep thinking back i've thought a lot about the dunning kruger effect recently And to sort of summarize for anyone who isn't familiar with it, I like John Cleese's example of what the Dunning-Kruger effect is, which is like stupid people don't know they're stupid people. But it's a it's a way of saying like when you don't when you're not an actual expert in something, you also lack the knowledge to understand that you're not an expert in that thing. You overestimate your ability. Isn't that all of the media? Sorry. <laughs> Probably. But like essentially like when you look at the graph and you see how it peaks up, you're like your your confidence in yourself versus your expertise, what they call that is like Mount Stupid. Like you're on the top of Mount Stupid when you don't fully understand and you just saw Dre like choke on his on his water. But when you don't fully understand the thing that you're looking at, but you have high confidence in yourself and your ability in it, like that's where Mount Stupid is. And so I find that that's unfortunately the case sometimes in the field that we operate in, because on the outside, it can look really easy. Like I'm a futurist. I'm going to call myself a futurist. I'm going to start doing this work. I'm going to take a workshop. I'm going to read a book. And now I'm a futurist. Um, Not realizing there's so much depth and so much work behind it and so much that it actually takes to become an expert within this field. And that's the same for any given field. So how do we sort of think about those kind of mistakes that are being made? In in uh, UX, that's called unconscious incompetence. And so there you go through this these stages of design literacy in an organization where you start with unconscious incompetence means you don't know the things that you don't know, obviously. And then you get to the next step is conscious incompetence where at least you understand what you don't know at least you understand that there are things that you don't know and that you need to learn and then you get to conscious competence which means that you're starting to learn things that you're focusing on studying them and you're getting better at them and you're improving and then you get to unconscious competence which is where you've become so good and it's so natural now that you don't have to think about it anymore and you can you can just do it and those are stages that we forget when we spend a lot of time doing something like you know it, it it's not hard to forget when someone is just out of design school and they're starting out and i often make a lot of assumptions that they can do things a lot faster or that they can come to conclusions uh, really easily and i often have to force myself to step back and remember how much fear and ignorance and you know incompetence that i had coming out of school to be able to 
set my expectations in the, in the right way to help them to be successful as opposed to allowing them. I, I don't mind allowing them to make mistakes, but you want to empower people and you, you don't want to forget that not everyone is at the same space, same level. I feel like I live somewhere in the conscious incompetence and conscious competence world. That's a nice place to tuck into because when you when you make those little mistakes and when you realize that, you know, maybe you didn't know something, the epiphany of realizing that there's this new thing to learn, that there's this upgrade that you could make to yourself. I love that. That's a bit of a high for me. And I feel like it's something that we should embrace. We should let people realize it's okay to just not know stuff. It's great when you realize that you're lacking somewhere and that you can now dig into something and, and read about it or watch it, watch it or even just look at YouTube videos on it. It's a good feeling. You know, you know what, what you just reminded me of is a memory I had when I was a kid, and I think it might be a, a memory that, that somehow got me into graphic design, but I remember my mom, she was an excellent illustrator, artist, and I remember her taking a Sharpie and drawing a picture. She would do that a lot. And if she made a mistake, I well, one, I would watch her draw something with such confidence. There was just a, the way that she would move her arm was confident. This is going to be what I want it to be. And then she would screw something up and I'd be like, oh man, like this is permanent marker on, on expensive construction paper. And then she would just do a little thing. She'd like, oh, I'll turn this into a flower or I will like, I'll make an alteration to what this was going to be. And, and we'll just, it's not like it was fixed or erased. It was just now it became something else and, and it, and just work along with the mistake. And that literally blew my mind as a kid that someone could, could just be that fluid and not freak out that they made a mistake not not throw it out it didn't become garbage and it was no big deal it was just part of the flow and I think that really really affected me obviously it did because I think I was four or five and I still remember it now but that helped to shape my idea of of how I approach art which is make stuff make mistakes and then not pave over them, but turn those mistakes into something that you hadn't thought of. Mm -hmm. Something I really like about making in general, I love, I love making things and I tinker with woodworking and construction and electronics and laser cutting, 3d printing, all that fun stuff. And especially when you're dealing with material, I take woodworking as an example, you have this piece of wood, you've got a tool that you're going to uh, shape this wood with and uh, it could be a lathe it could be a saw and if you go too far you go too far there's no reversing there's no there's no pencil eraser that you can use to undo removing too much material from something and at one point you can either stop and say screw it and throw it out and start over again or you could say let's work with what we've got. Maybe I'll just make the dimensions a little bit different. Maybe I'll just adjust the tolerances to accommodate this mistake that I made. And oftentimes in the end, when you're putting two pieces together and even though you made a mistake on one and you compensate it for it on another and they come together and everything's fine in the end. You, you, you have 
exactly the same result. It's just only you know that somewhere in the process, something happened that you didn't intend to. So it sounds like there's two aspects to that. One is that you're adaptable, right? That you can sort of accept that you've made the mistake or adjust to the situations and make changes accordingly. And the other is that the sort of acceptance around there isn't one right answer, but that there are, there's maybe a spectrum that things are still within, you know, an acceptable level or that are still good. And so you can fluctuate a little bit off of what you thought you were going to do. Let me ask you two a question. Have you ever made a mistake in your lives that you adapted to and in hindsight realized that the outcome was more preferable because you chose to roll with that mistake? Have you ever had that situation happen to you? Yeah, I mean, I can't think of an example off the bat, but it was, I was thinking about this in terms of mistakes the same way when we did our last podcast on decision-making. We thought about how it's, it's a matter of time sometimes, like not making a good decision or a bad decision. Like you don't necessarily know in the moment, you might find out later. It's the same thing with mistakes, something that you think is a colossal mistake could turn out to be quite beneficial to you. So, I mean, I've had things in the past that I've looked at where it's like, is this, was that the right thing to do to walk away from this job? And then a few years later, it's almost like a moot point where it it doesn't even matter anymore because I went off in a different trajectory and it was all fine. So I think we have that quite often. And it's like, it's like decisions. It's a matter of time. There's a really great proverb around this and I can't think of it exactly, but maybe we'll include it in the show notes of like, and it tells a story of like a, a man's son gets sent off to war and they're like, oh, this is so bad. But then he comes back and it's like, oh, this is so good. And it's like, then he loses his leg. It it just kind of goes on and on. It just shows that there's no, nothing is really good or bad. You just see it over time. When I started working in advertising, when I started my career way back when, I remember there was a time when, when everyone's talking about branding, branding, branding. I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't know what anyone was talking about because I was a technologist that was being recruited. So I went on Amazon and I purchased a book around branding, expecting it to to show up and, and then I would read it and I would know what I was talking about now. When I ordered the book, I made the mistake of not checking what format it was coming in. So it showed up as an audio cassette, like an audio book and not a book book. And I'd never really listened to audio books before. So my choice was to return the book or just lean into this mistake and listen to the audiobook. I popped it into the cassette player of my car because back then I was driving a 1986 Mercury Slopez and it played on auto reverse over and over and over again. I never really listened to it. It just played in the background. And one day I was in a meeting and I said something about branding and everybody was like, damn, that's, that's a really good insight. That's spot on. And I thought to myself, shit, I know stuff about branding, not realizing that two weeks later, as I'm listening in my car, the tape is just playing autonomously. I'm not even paying attention to it. And I hear the exact words I uttered in the meeting that everybody praised me for being so smart about being spoken to me by a narrator on a tape verbatim. Then that moment was the moment that I realized that the ability of your subconscious to just absorb information when you're not actively listening to it was a very powerful tool. And I became an instant fan of audiobooks and re-listening to things over and over again, realizing that I would 
it would probably sink in at some point. At any rate, that was a, uh, for me, a story about a mistake I made that I choose to lean into that, that paid off in uh, dividends. I kind of had that with my career as well. Because when I look back at it for like a very long time, I thought that my, the undergrad degree that I did, so I did an undergrad in business was a mistake. I made the wrong decision to go into the wrong program at the wrong school and all of that sort of stuff. And I felt like I had made the mistake in my second year, like I'm in the wrong place sort of thing. But I continued with it and I just sort of went along. And then the sort of 10 years that followed that felt like a big mistake in terms of all the decisions I had made as a career and the path I was on. And now it kind of doesn't because I wouldn't have gotten to the point that I am at now had I not gone down that path. It's like, it, I almost needed to, like I would not be doing the stuff that I'm doing, working on the stuff that I'm working on. I would not have my master's degree if I hadn't done all of the mistakey things that came before it. So it's it's one of those things that, again, like could play out differently over time. Who knows, maybe in 10 years, I'll be like, all of this was a mistake again. <laughs> but for now, it seems to have, in a way, corrected itself somehow. There's an interesting saying about success that you you either, you have two choices, right? There's two, there's two things you can do wrong. And one is that you don't go all the way. And the other one is that you give up and you don't, and you stop. And I think that, that making a mistake or failure only actually is permanent if you completely stop. So if you continue and you learn from it and you move forward, it's not an absolute, it's not an absolute mistake and it's not an absolute fail because you're still playing off of it you're still moving and you're still stepping you're still doing something next and and an example of that for me when I first I think learned that the most was probably grade 10 when I was I got I scored the lead in a play I played Atticus Finch in To Kill a Mockingbird and I was so I was a lawyer that had to go up and I had like a three-page monologue that where I had to deliver lines to the jury which was the audience and I practiced that forever in in my little basement bedroom and I went up and the first night that I did the dialogue I forgot my lines halfway through and I just froze and I froze in front of the audience and I was like shoot what am I going to do next? And then I heard a little whisper from the side and it was a stage manager. And then the whisper got a little louder and a little louder. And then it triggered the next bit because she was actually feeding me my lines. And then, and then I continued and I thought, this is a total failure. I've, I've completely screwed this thing up. I've made a massive mistake. Everyone's going to think this was the worst play ever. And then after it was over and people were coming up and talking to me, they were saying, oh my God, that dramatic pause that you gave during the the delivery of your speech to the jury was so amazing. And I'm like, but but that was a mistake. That was like a complete, and, and then I stopped myself and I'm like, maybe I don't have to admit the fact that I screwed up. Maybe I can just ride with this as being a part of the process and it was a massive learning experience for someone in, you know, in grade 10. But it really stuck with me that 
you can just ride it through and make it part of the experience. Then you call yourself an artistic genius. It's like I knew it, the pause was intentional. I knew it needed it. Your comment about mistakes and uh, permanence and how mistakes don't have to be permanent or they don't need to be seen as a mistake in permanence. Do you know the, the Japanese art of kintsugi? This idea that a broken bowl, for instance, can be mended again by gilding it with gold mica and epoxy or glue. Is that what Kylo Ren did with his mask in the last Kinda, Star Wars? Kind of, yeah. That is it. I, I haven't seen the last Star Wars. What? That's a mistake. <laughs> or not. I think it might be our mistake, Jason. <laughs> or not. <laughs> or not. Sorry, please continue. Yeah, the idea that you can take something like, you know, make the mistake of, let's say, dropping, miscalculating your step and dropping a bowl, and you could uh, put it back together again, but adding permanence to the mistake, adding permanence to the failure and gilding it with this, this, this gold outline and turning the mistake into something beautiful, into something noticeable and something that might not only just remind you that there is beauty in failure, there is beauty in being wrong, uh, that we are the culmination of our experiences, our decisions... I think permanence in mistake making is can be a good thing. Not always a good thing, but it can be a good thing. And it's good to have a healthy outlook on it's okay to not be right all the time. So, you know what's really hard about that is that a lot of the mistakes that we make fill us with feelings of inadequacy or shame. And, and there are things that if, if they're not if they're not tackled the right way, if they're not given enough thought and time and healing, they can become malignant. But if they are given enough time and you get the right perspective on them, then they can become a propellant that that allows you to, to use that as fuel later on and tell a great story or... But they can be... So they can either be crippling or they can be empowering. And it and I I'd love to hear from you guys how you how you manage that. How do you how do you mitigate that that balance of it destroying you or moving you ahead? I have a clear thought on that, and that is just taking responsibility. I think taking responsibility for your actions and taking responsibility for your mistakes is a way to shortcut closure. It's a way to get to a place where, where you can admit that you've done something wrong and you can accept the consequences of that and feel good that at least you have put yourself in the right place or the right position. Whereas when, when people don't take responsibility for their mistakes uh, or for their, for their actions, that, is, that can lead to regret. That can lead to... That can lead to a lot of really bad feelings deep down inside. And sometimes you just have to, you have to open it up and you have to either apologize to the person that you know you've done wrong. In order to be regretful, you have to recognize that you've done something wrong in the first place. And if you get to that point, the best thing to do is find some way to own up to it and be responsible for it. And it will make you a better person in the long run. I think the way I view it, like with a mistake being something that's not... Like you don't mean harm, 
right? Like it's something that you've done by accident that you've kind of, you didn't mean to do. I think there's something to be said about forgiving ourselves for it. And then something to be said about how we're socialized to kind of internalize these mistakes in like a really bad way. It's going back to the the point that you made, Dre, earlier. I think that are we really talking about mistakes when we're talking about this sort of thing? Are we talking about mistakes or are we talking about something that was intentionally done or a decision that was made or whatever it is? And so if it's if it's a genuine mistake, then you kind of have to like learn to not be so hard on yourself and to let it go and to just accept that like everybody does this and it's not about being perfect, it's about learning from that. And you know, if apologies need to be made in the, the process then obviously take responsibility for that too. So I, that's not something I've perfected. <laughs> like, I don't know if I can really even speak to this because I make mistakes all the time. I like, I can think of several that I've made just in the (laughs) the process of going through this crisis but there's something to be said about like the the levels that mistakes are being made at too and, and what the consequences of those are like there's potentially a difference between the personal mistakes that we make the day to day mistakes that we make the mistakes that we make with other people then there's the the higher levels the mistakes and the decisions and all of that sort of stuff that affect others at a greater scale. And so like I've been thinking, for instance, about the mistakes that our governments have made in handling this crisis and the mistakes that we're making in terms of squashing it, the mistakes that we could potentially make going forward by not learning from it. Do we need different classifications for mistakes as well? <laughs> like my mind's kind of going in different directions yeah, now. Yeah, I believe that the, in, in the legal world, there are four official classifications for mistakes. That has to do with contractual things. But just to go back to going back to yourself and uh, being hard on yourself for making mistakes and even thinking about what I said about responsibility, I feel like responsibility to yourself is probably first and foremost the most important aspect because if you're too hard on yourself, that's that's bad. That's not good for your mental health. And I think that having some form of a responsibility that you can find closure with the mistake that you made and learn from that. I think it's a really important, important aspect because as much as we're letting other people down, letting ourselves down is, is really, is maybe the worst part of it all. So there is a, a crazy moment in my, there in my life when, you know, when you have that moment when you know that something that you've been exposed to that, or that you're being exposed to is changing you and that it's going to alter your perspective from that point on where the information that's coming in is so perfect for your situation or so profound that you know you're not going to think about things the same way again that happened to me during uh tedx in toronto where they're like well we don't have another presenter today because we don't have enough presenters so we're going to play this crazy video and I was like this is bullshit right this is stupid and then then they played this video and it was this woman named Brene Brown talking about this book that she'd just written called The Gifts of Imperfection she was talking about doing shame research and about how to forgive yourself and I think I actually started crying almost in the in my seat and I'm like this is what she's talking about is probably going to affect me more than 
anything that I've learned before. And the weird thing is it's probably did because I read the book and I thought about it a lot and it and it allowed me and everyone works differently, right? And everyone's inspired by and influenced by different things. But that book in particular inspired me to be able to overcome my own failures and to forgive myself for the things that that I didn't even know, like uh, to allow myself the perspective of knowing that that I didn't know and that I made those mistakes and that I can learn from them, move on from them, take responsibility for them, like you said, Dre, ask for forgiveness, but more importantly, forgive myself for making those mistakes because that's where I was at and accepting that. So what I kind of like about that when I think back to what's happening in the world right now is that this is almost like a a reset opportunity for a lot of people, right? It's like it's an opportunity to sort of mark a time in their lives where things are different before and after and say, okay, it's a we're going to break from whatever was before. So we're going to make different choices. We're going to let go of what was, you know, the world, the reality, whoever we were, and we're going to move forward in a different way. And it's there's some privilege that comes with that and being able to say that and do that. But is that something that we can kind of look at through a lens of mistakes and of thinking about, you know, how do we forgive ourselves and go forward is like, okay, we made some mistakes in the past and this is the opportunity to, to learn and transform. I totally th- think that that is possible. I, I, but I always caveat that with, please don't put that pressure on yourself. Don't say because I'm in the, and, and let's not, let's not like pretend this isn't a crisis. I'm not saying you are. I'm, I'm just saying that this is a crisis moment. So the fact that you have extra time maybe, or the fact that you're stuck at home and you're not doing a bunch of other things, you know, there's a lot of, this is my best quarantine life going on. I think I said that before on, on Instagram and, and such, but I think it's really, really important to know your, or t- to reflect on your own limitations and to accept those. And that is ultimately where the line is. So accept what your limitations are. If you're overwhelmed, accept that you're overwhelmed and that you need to take time out and you need to take time for yourself and take care of yourself and not say, oh, I need to now be more productive than ever and I need to I need to do and change a bunch of things just find that acceptance and that line and then move forward from there incrementally. I like that. And I fully agree with it. I think there's something to be said about like what is a mistake right now versus what isn't. So maybe the the sort of expectations we held ourselves to before don't apply anymore because we are in crisis mode and everyone's experiencing that crisis differently. So if there's forgiveness there and if there is a little bit more leeway there, then I think that's probably a healthier thing. I think the biggest mistake right now is to go jogging, going out and breathing on everybody. <laughs> breathing moistly. <laughs> jogging moistly. I this I this one uh, little anecdote that I wanted to that I wanted to tell you guys before we wrap up our uh, our podcast for the week, but I, I you know I play music with some friends. We write music, and and one of the things that happens in the process of songwriting collaboratively with friends is that you know someone will show up with a song idea. 
will start playing it, will start singing some words, and you're watching them, and, and then you jump in. You get an idea of what the chord structure is. I like to sing along, do harmonies, so I will get an idea of what the words are being said. And I remember singing and doing harmonies to a song. And my good friend John, who I play in a band with, he, he stops and he said, what words are you singing? Because I'm just listening to what he's saying. So I say the word and he's, he's like, that's, oh, that's funny. That's not what I'm singing. I'm saying this word. And I'm like, oh, weird. He goes, but I like your word better. It makes the song more meaningful. So we coined that a, a misimprovement. It's a misunderstanding or it's a mistake that leads to the improvement. And we would have not gotten to the better song had we not, had not, had someone not made a mistake and somebody else accept it and turn it into something. So I'm a big fan of misimprovements. I think this is a great philosophy to inject into your life and look at every mistake as an opportunity to turn it into something better and to make it more productive and meaningful for you. Any closing remarks on that? Is that an Urban Dictionary entry? It should be an Urban Dictionary entry. <laughs> you can do it. You just have to log in. You're right. I'm going to do it. You know, I'm going to do it right after this. So I, I will log into Urban Dictionary and add this uh, description, this entry, and I hope everybody who listens will do that. Upvote, upvote. If anybody is listening to the podcast toward the end of the episode, which is great, thank you very much for listening. Feel free to drop us a line at uh, postnormalshow at gmail.com. We have an email. We will gladly take your questions. And uh, yeah. Like, why is Dre's voice so low? Because he's <laughs> hiding something. Is he hiding something? <laughs> He's under witness protection. Yeah, I'm a whistleblower. <laughs> I'm going to plug one last thing before we go, actually, because it was um, pointed out to me, and this could have been a mistake on my part. There is a Center for Post-Normal Policy and Future Studies, and I wasn't aware of it because we took our name. Like, we never talked about where we got post-normal from, but we got it from post-normal science. And we were specifically looking at this one graph that talked about, like, what post-normal science is. And even our logo was inspired by that particular graph, and we'll include that in the show notes, too. But this particular institute talks about post-normal times and what it means to live in an uncertain time. So I think it's a, it's a cool little resource to go check out in the team that has worked on this concept and, and contributed to the thinking around it has done some really good work and some of them are our friends and we know them <laughs> so that's kind of fun cool yeah so check that out all right well thank you for listening to our show this week and from all of us at the post normal show we will see you in the future don't screw up